0: Good morning. It is so good to be with you all this January 7th. If you missed the announcements this morning, January 7th is the day that our Eastern Orthodox brothers and sisters in Christ celebrate Christmas. It's their December 25th. So, about 350 million of our brothers and sisters are celebrating Christmas this morning. So, keep that in mind as we are also continuing to revel in what the incarnation is and to celebrate that. Um it's a, it's a great thing to continue celebrating with the worldwide church. But for many of us here in North America, if you haven't noticed, people have started to move beyond Christmas um, to another holiday, the New Year. Anyone here celebrate New Year's? Yes, anyone. I, a couple people celebrated New Year's, like two, so that's good. Yeah, so people have, have started to move on to New Year's, and especially right now, um, a weekend, New Year's resolutions. Any New Year's resolutions made here? Did anyone make any New Year's resolutions? Like one person. Uh, pagan superstition. Two. We've had two people celebrate New Year's and two people make resolutions. So, Good. All right. Well, it it happens to be around the new year, whether you make resolutions or not, it's a, t- it's a time that can be filled with a lot of excitement, right? People are excited about new possibilities for change, better habits and relationships and attitudes. It can be a time of excitement, a lot of excitement about change. So come January 1st, perhaps you've experienced this or have in the past, We we jump in, maybe really gung-ho to fulfill a resolution. We've We've made. Maybe you will resonate. Let's use the example of of weight loss, since that's the most prevalent um, resolution that happens in the U.S. So, so imagine this: January twenty first. You don't actually have to imagine. You can see your friends and family doing this. Maybe someone will say, "I'm going to lose." 10 pounds, or whatever that is, and they they buy a gym membership, right? And they clear all the cookies out of the cupboard, and they encourage all their family and friends to get on board, and sometimes the family and friends are really upset because they miss those cookies. Anyone ever been there? Your parents done that? Mine did. So they charge full speed ahead on their goals in January. That's where they are right now. And it goes on for a little while, right? Right? So, so, my brother is a, a manager of gyms in the Indianapolis area, and he's been working like crazy these past few months. I've been really worried about him opening new gyms, getting them ready for January. But he keeps telling me, don't worry, Steph, don't worry. It's going to slow down. It always slows down in February. And he's right. They do all this work for the month of January, and then the rest of the year is like, Pow. So... He's right. It always slows down in February. Did you know that they've actually done studies that by the second week of February, about 80% of us have given up on our resolutions? Five weeks, and we throw in the towel. Five weeks. By the end of the year, only 8% have stayed committed to their resolutions. That's 92% of us falling off. So in this This pattern, it's not just in the area of physical fitness. It's not just Planet Fitness Gems seeing this phenomenon. It happens in our spiritual lives, too. So at Christmas, we get really excited about all that God has done for us in the Incarnation, sending Jesus Christ into the world. We sing and we decorate. We sometimes get new courage to tell other people about Jesus Christ, to invite them to our services. And in the wake of celebrating all of this incarnation stuff, as the new year rolls around, we get new energy to live out our church mission statement, to be disciples who make disciples, to grow in our relationship with Christ, to help other people do the same. That's the space that many of us might be dwelling in right now, still shining with the Christmas glow, still motivated with New Year's resolve. And that's where we're going to see our disciples in our text for today, too. In the same kind of excitement and resolve. But what happens in five weeks? Let's get prepared for this. What happens in five weeks when your one-year Bible reading plan that you're so committed to has you in the middle of Leviticus? What do you do then? What happens when after 5 weeks of waking up early, 30 minutes early to pray every day, you're finding that you don't feel like the totally new person you thought you would be and that snooze button is calling your name? What happens when you've gotten the courage to talk to your coworker about your faith and the the conversation it gets really awkward? What do you do then? Do you just give up on your New Year's discipleship resolutions altogether? Just give up on the hopes of growing closer to Christ and helping others to do the same? Maybe today you're thinking, I have out-tricked that. You know what? By this point in life, I'm wise enough to just not make resolutions. I always, I always fail them anyway, so I'm just not going to make them. That's the best way to do it. Well, friends, if this all sounds all too familiar, you're not alone. We have all been there either too quickly giving up on our efforts or just not making them in the first place. And yet, in light of all that we have just celebrated at Christmas, I wonder why, if we value Christ so much, why are we so quick to give up on our hopes of growing closer to Christ? of helping others to grow closer to Christ, if we value it so highly. Well, before we get to our text, I want to do a little cultural analysis. I think that part of this has to do with the fact that today we live in a really fast-paced culture. Can anyone agree with that? Do you feel a little too fast sometimes? We expect immediate results all the time. Fast food, fast service, fast cars, fast growth. For everything, including our souls. But friends, the work of God is slow and steady. Our souls are so complex and intricate and valuable that they refuse to be fed by cheap fast food drive through Our souls are so beautiful that they require the slow cooking oven of a loving relationship. So what we'll see in our text for today and throughout the entire Gospel of John is that God invites us into relationship. God invites us to come and abide with him. Not to get a quick fix and go, but to remain with him. And it is within the safety of this long-term relationship that growth and change happen. So with these thoughts of discipleship in mind, I invite us to read our passage for today, which is John 1, verses 35 to 51. You can follow along in your pew Bibles or in your own Bible if you brought that. But before we read, let us pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray that your word would be our rule, your spirit would be our teacher and the glory of Christ, our single concern. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which is translated teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, where did you come to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered, do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, "Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. This is the Word of the Lord. Thank you. So this narrative about Jesus' very first disciples, it has so much to teach us about our own discipleship, and at the heart of this text is Verse 39, they came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. They remained with him. The Greek word for remain here is meno, which can also be translated as abide, which we're going to hear pop up again and again in John's gospel. And it comes up again and again because it is so important because this word, meno, remain, abide, it is at the heart of discipleship. Remaining with Jesus is at the heart of discipleship. So as we'll learn later in the gospel, these men, they come and stay with Jesus, not just for a night, but for the next three years. And after that, the Spirit comes and abides within them. So they are abiding with Jesus, not just for a day, but for a lifetime. A lifetime of remaining with Jesus. So friends, discipleship, it is a lifetime venture. A lifetime of remaining with Jesus. And in this venture, we never stop learning. Perhaps you've heard this before, that a disciple, another way you can... um, Translate this as learner. A disciple is one who is continually learning from another And for us that's learning from Jesus So this posture of lifetime learning It helps us to avoid two pitfalls that Christians can fall into in the life of discipleship See if you can hear resonances with our pitfalls with our new year's resolutions, too so the first one is it's to think that at some point we're done learning and growing. That's maybe those who just say, "I'm eh, not going to do a resolution anyway. I'm I'm good where I am. Just going to stay here." That can be the first pitfall to think that we're done. That maybe our only job now is to to teach other people. But the reality is, Jesus always has more to teach us, no matter our age or background. No matter even if we're pretty content where we are, Jesus always has more to show us, more to grow within us. And we get to see this unfold in the disciples' lives. So right here in John 1, the early disciples, they make some astounding proclamations. Andrew calls Jesus the Messiah, right out of the gate. Nathanael calls him the Son of God, the King of Israel. And these are bold claims. They are very bold claims. And they are true and accurate claims. But it appears to us, right out of the gates, that since they're making these claims, the disciples have Jesus all figured out, right? Like, they see him, they recognize it, they make these claims. Yay! Like, they're done, right? But, but we learn later, we're going to learn as the gospel unfolds, that they don't quite have Jesus all figured out. You see, what they, what they meant by these claims was something really wonderful, but it wasn't all that Jesus was. You see, these, these titles for them was a savior that would save them from, from the Roman Empire, a, a savior that was for the Israelites only, it was, it was a savior, it was a messiah, it was a king, but their idea of those things was a little bit too small. But over time, as they remain with Jesus, Jesus opens their eyes to see that He is a He is a king. But not just of their people, but of the world that He so loves. He had come not just to save them from the Romans, but from everything that would ever oppress the human the human race as it was. He came to save them from sin itself. So here in John 1, we see that at the beginning of their discipleship journey, they make statements that are true and profound and beautiful, but they need to grow into their understanding of those statements. And Jesus is going to keep growing those as he abides with them. And the same is true, friends, in our lives of discipleship. Think back on your own faith journey, if you will. I'll give you a little picture into mine. I was baptized at age nine. I remember this clearly, um, having a conversation with my pastor, and he thought I was too young to understand what was going on. But I clearly remember telling him, no, I get it. I get it that Jesus loves me and that he came to save the world that he so loves. I get it. And the pastor was like, oh, she's saying it, she seems to get it, so sure, yeah, let's baptize her. And I did. I got it when I was nine, as much as my nine-year-old brain could get it, right? But over the years, as I have continued to remain with Jesus and continued to groan, man, my understanding of love and salvation has just, like, exploded, I got it as much as I could then, but it continues to grow and grow. Praise be to God. Amen, right? And praise be to God that God's love and salvation are bigger than we're ever going to be able to understand. These little human brains just, like, can't take it all in. But Jesus doesn't just give up on us. Jesus doesn't just say, oh, you'll never get it. He doesn't say that to the early disciples. When they make these claims, you're the Messiah, you are the king. He doesn't just say, that's inaccurate. You don't understand how big I am. He just says, great, come follow me. And he continues to teach them because they do have faith. And he continues to grow that faith. But these disciples, the early disciples, he also doesn't just say after they've made these claims, all right, good, you've got a little bit. Now you're done on your own. He continues to have them abide with him. Stay with me day after day, year after year. Stay with me. I will show you more and more and more than your heart could ever desire. Come and stay with me. Because remember, the work of God is slow and steady. Our souls, they can't just be fed through drive through They have to have the slow cooking oven of loving relationship with Christ. So my favorite example in scripture of the slow, steady work of God is the transformation of the disciple Simon, who we meet here, who gets renamed Peter. So when this fir- disciple first meets Jesus, Jesus automatically gives them a new name. How would you like that? You meet someone and they're like, "You're Stephanie. You shall be called Michelle." I'm like, what? <laughs> it's kind of weird, right? But in the in the ancient world, <laughs> Brandon's the only one that thought that was funny. I'm <laughs> <And> Michelle. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's kind of weird, but in the ancient world, this meant a lot. Names carried a lot of meaning. Your name represented your entire personality. All of who you are were supposed to be represented in your name. Some of you are rethinking what you named your children like. Oh, no. <laughs> Just kidding. It's okay. But, but so Jesus, he renames them. He says, you shall be named Peter. And Peter, that means rock. So it's like Jesus is saying, you are now the rock man. But when we read the rest of the Gospels, we can see that Peter, his personality is acting nothing like a rock. He is impulsive, volatile, unreliable. This is what we see. But not forever, right? Yes, right. As Peter spends more and more time with Jesus, later when the Spirit comes to indwell with Within him, he is changed. He's changed into a man who becomes this solid, rock-like pillar of the early church. He is changed. He grows into his name over time. And so it is with us. When we meet Jesus, did you know that Jesus gives us a new name too? That new name is son or daughter. Son or daughter of the living God. That is your primary name. Did you know that? For some of us, that name happens when we're babies at infant baptism. For others of us, it happens later in life. Whenever it is, when we meet Jesus, he gives us a new name. Daughter or son of God. But like Peter... It takes a little while for us to grow into our name. A lifetime, actually. And it doesn't just happen by our own willpower. It happens through God doing slow, steady work on our souls. It happens through our continual relationship with Jesus Christ. But that doesn't mean that there's nothing for us to do, right? Because think of the slow cooker analogy, if if Soul work happens in the slow cooking oven of loving relationship with Jesus Christ. Think about food. Food is not going to cook if it hops out of the oven. So we, in the same way, can't expect to keep growing if we hop out of our relationship with Jesus. If we want to change, if we want to grow, we have to remain. There's that word remain again. We need to remain, abide in Jesus, let him do his work on us day after day, year after year. So let's get really practical for a minute. What might it practically look like to abide with Jesus? For the early disciples, it was easy. Follow me, and they walk along with Jesus, eat with him, sleep in the same place, you know, three years of doing this. What does it look like for us? Well, the Holy Spirit indwells with us now. So a lot of it is just, making ourselves available to Jesus who is with us. It means carving out time and energy to pay attention to Jesus, to listen to Jesus, to worship, to learn from Jesus. Just like you would with a spouse or a friend or a child, you're not going to develop a relationship if you give them no time or energy, right? The same is true with Christ. So things like you would already think of, communal worship like we do here on Sundays, reading the Bible, maybe some other books too, prayer, service to others, fellowship with other Christians. These are really ordinary practices that God has given us to pay attention to him, to build our relationship with him. And we can't just abandon them. We have to abide in them to let him do the slow work on our souls. You've probably heard this before, but let's just bring it back to our our New Year's resolution example of, of the gym. So most of us know that if you only show up to the gym for five weeks or like two times a year, you're not going to see any change at the end of the year, are you? It's like this guy that we heard say, I made a New Year's resolution to lose 10 pounds. And at the end of the year, says, I'm pretty good. I'm only 20 pounds away. So... You gotta, you gotta like show up. You can't just like buy the gym membership and then watch it from the outside. You gotta, you gotta show up. And you're not gonna see change right away. After five weeks, you might not feel totally different, but give it 20 weeks, give it a year, give it two years, and you are gonna be amazed at the transformation you experience. The key is consistency over time. Continuing to show up to Jesus, day after day, year after year. And that highlights the second error that we can fall into in our lives of a discipleship. If you're wondering, I knew there were two, but um, as we close, we're going to highlight the second one. You've probably picked up on it already. That error is to think that we should expect our soul transformation to happen like that. To happen just overnight, really quickly. Many of us, we get frustrated with ourselves and frustrated with our families and coworkers and friends when we don't see the results happening as fast as we want them. Because remember, we live in a culture that tells us immediate results all the time. But we, when we don't get those immediate results, our knee-jerk reaction is just to give up. To give up on our spiritual practice. To give up on our evangelism and discipleship of others. But think again of Peter. Do you know there was a point where Peter was tempted to give up? Do you remember at the end of the gospel, he makes a really big mistake. He denies Jesus. Not once, three times. Flat out denies him. Three years of living with Jesus. He even told Jesus, I'm not going to deny you. And then the time comes and he denies him. One, two, three times. So here's Peter in his self-loathing, he could be tempted to give up, just to say, I'm done. I've failed. There's no way I'm going to keep going on. There's no way that I can disciple others or be a disciple. I've, I've messed up too much. But what happens? Do you remember? Jesus comes to Peter again. Because Jesus is in relationship with Peter. And Jesus says, it's okay. He restores the relationship. And invites him to keep going. Keep following me, Peter. And keep inviting others to follow me, too. Let's keep on going. And he does, doesn't he? This formerly impulsive, volatile, unreliable man becomes a rock of the early church. He is a man through whom Christ works to draw thousands of people to himself. And over the course of century, billions of people, because Peter chose not to give up. To close today, I invite you to pull out your bulletin to the middle portion. You're going to find there a prayer called a prayer of patient trust. This prayer was written by Teilhard de Chardin. I probably butchered that. Ask Tommy for the French pronunciation later. Um, He's a French priest during the early 1900s, and this is a prayer that I personally have kept on my desk and have been praying through for the past few months. And I invite you to do the same, to keep this prayer, maybe rip it out of your bulletin, put it somewhere where you can find it. This prayer, it will help us to fight our impulses to think that spiritual growth is supposed to be quick or easy, or the false notion that we might ever reach the end of spiritual growth in this life. Rather, this prayer invites us to remain in Christ, to trust his slow and steady work on our souls. So as I read this prayer aloud, I invite you to read it along silently. Let us pray. Above all, trust in the slow work of God. We are quite naturally impatient in everything to reach the end without delay. We should like to skip the intermediate stages. We are impatient of being on the way to something unknown, something new. And yet it is the law of all progress that it is made by passing through some stages of instability, and that it may take a very long time. And so it is with you. Your ideas mature gradually. Let them grow Let them shape themselves without undue haste. Don't try to force them on as though you could be today what time, that is to say grace and circumstances acting on your own goodwill, will make of you tomorrow. Only God could say what this new spirit gradually forming within you will be. Give our Lord the benefit of believing that his hand is leading you and accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in suspense and incomplete. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are patient with us, that you remain with us even when sometimes we want to when we want to skip out on you. Thank you for being with us always. Help us to remain in you. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.